0: Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you're listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food culture. Today, I have on the show Marcus Liao, who is a chef and head of product development at Naked Fin, where he breathes new life into traditional flavours and heritage ingredients. In this chat, he talks about his Paranakan heritage and how modernization can be a way to keep traditional food alive. At the end of the conversation, he also shares his favourite places to eat at in Singapore. Could you tell me how you got started with cooking and how you decided that you wanted to be a chef?
1: Um, I, I mean, growing up, it's, uh, like a typical, like, Prada household. Like, you, even though, like, I wasn't, obviously I wasn't interested in, like, cooking when I was very young, um, you get very, like, drawn into the whole, like, smells and everything in the kitchen, because, like, um, growing up, it's, it's very common for, for me to, like, go to my grandma's house, and then we would have, like, mm, our typical, like every every week we will go down and we have like just um like those uh like tau stews and um we would do like sometimes uh we would do like hammer hammer the like lot last time you couldn't get the lot available in flesh so that's um like we, the whole day we would just spend like hammering out the the stuff uh the lot shells and everything so but as I the thing is as I got uh to to like army I would say I kind of was actually more interested in Baking, which is actually a very, it's not very common, uh, I would say, for like guys to be interested in pastry and stuff. But then, as I got on to like when I actually got very quite determined, um, I actually decided not to go to um, like university, um, and I actually decided to just work in the kitchen. Um, they didn't have any open slots. I worked in like a like a cafe. Uh, I picked a cafe where they would actually make like a lot of things from scratch, and um, they didn't have like a slot for like pastry and stuff so they just put me at like the the cold side doing like salads and stuff and slowly slowly when while we were there like you get very attracted to like what they were cooking like over at the other sections and i guess like slowly i got more and more interested and yeah after that i didn't i didn't really after after a while i really wasn't interested in pastry anymore i guess
0: yeah that's so interesting i feel that pastry is so unorthodox for for guys to get into, right? Because it's seen as like a kind of feminine domain. Um. So why why were you interested in it in the first place? Uh,
1: <laughs> to be very honest, I I thought that uh, it's okay. It sounds very shallow, but uh, I thought that like if I bake stuff, uh, like girls would be more interested. I would say, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's very very shallow. But like when I was during the time when I started to bake, it was very it was a very big thing to do. Like macaroons and you know all that stuff. So it was at the point of time it was like damn trendy. So I thought that it was it was like, I was like oh like um I think it's very interesting. And at the point of time in school, uh, I did like triple science and stuff. And baking is almost it's like it's it's very it's very specific. It's almost like a science, um, like with like the measurements and everything. So I think that was also the part that kind of like drew me to to like doing the pastries and stuff. So I guess like. Uh, after a while, I got more and more interested, and yeah, it's as uh, shallow as it sounds. This was like one of my earliest, uh, earliest memories of uh, like actually doing something like to cook alone without like my, like my grandparents or like my dad.
0: Oh, that's interesting, but it's so true, you know. It's so linked to chemistry. But what about kueh? You know, is also desserts. But do you think it's more about the, you know, like just like cooking, or do you think it's very similar to pastry making in that it's within the size?
1: Um, for kui, it's a lot to do with gas estimation. Uh, with like my grandmother, my grandmother doesn't really do a lot, a lot of kueh, uh With like when I was young and stuff. But uh, how to say, like with even with like recipes that you see online and stuff. Even though like it's very specific measurements, uh, a lot of things are actually very, uh like based on gas estimation. And let's say like if you do like uh, kui's, where most of the times they don't. They don't really do things like over the memory. A lot of times, they actually just like over the stove. You directly cook like the custard and stuff. And like obviously, like a lot with the kind of things, a lot of, a lot of things can go wrong, and you can't you can't really like look at like a recipe and and then cook something like that at the same time. So I think it has a lot of guesswork. But uh, as obviously like as a chef, when we start to think about stuff like quiz and stuff, we try to make things very consistent because like I mean every every for us to sell it, like to have people to come and eat all the time, obviously like things have to be very consistent and we've got to think of a bit more modern ways to make it, uh, to make like every day like the same, especially when, uh, like in the future, when I make kuih and stuff, like you wouldn't, obviously you wouldn't be there like all every day to like, to oversee the process and stuff. So I think, um, as much as I think like guesstimation, it's, it's a very, it's a very hot site, uh, chef to do, but I think, uh, for in terms of like consistency wise, you really cannot. You really need to be a bit more precise. I guess, yeah.
0: Mm. And you also use vegetables in your kueh, right? And I guess that kind of throws off the the precise nature of of a recipe. So how do you cope with that? I know that you incorporate things like Jerusalem artichoke into your kueh. Mm.
1: Um. With that, we also we always try to um get from the the same supplier and with like. Uh, we the suppliers that we get from they all uh have been with our company um Naked Finn, for a very very long time, so we would actually they are very nice they are like they are the kind of uh suppliers where they would go to markets and get stuff for you. So there are certain things that we will look out for like oh um like when we when we order the Jerusalem artichokes we want the like the fatter starchier ones. So I mean like with these kind of things um you can get very consistent produce but obviously um things like starch content especially with like Jerusalem artichokes um the starch content is like different with uh like different times of the season but if you if you have like a proper recipe um and then you gotta we always do like little little test batches yeah to make sure that everything turns out very consistent because like with with stuff like we are we are doing stuff like Jerusalem artichoke guay or like um, corn salad there really isn't this. you can't really like Google um, these kind of things so you just have to you just have to do try and error and especially like um, now now it's in Singapore I would say it's much easier to get really really good kwe's. Um, I mean from like chop farm or even like online there's so many like people like uh, doing like home baking so people have in terms of kueh people tend to be a bit more um, they tend to eat more often nowadays so they really know like what they want in a kueh, or like what's a good kueh, or like what's a like not so good one, so I guess like the the fear the fear of being of being judged like by like a like a, those one of those like old old uh kueh grandmas. I think that really that I mean that still that still scares me to this day when I still cause they're still currently serving like the corn salad, uh, at Medic Square. Mm-hmm. So every now and then when like we get like an old like lady who's like a pranakan and they kind of think if then it still it still makes me really random really Cause clay is very subjective, right? Some people, especially with like like salad. Some people like the rice to be harder, some people like the rice to be softer, or like some people like it to have like a hint of salt and stuff. It's it's not it's not that easy sometimes. But with uh with like we are very lucky that we get good suppliers. And um so far, whatever we've been getting, like J chokes or uh Joseph chokes or like corn, they have been very consistent so far. Um but the initial process, it does take us a very, very long time to actually think of a proper recipe.
0: Mm. And in terms of um, texture, is it very similar to the traditional kind of kuei? Or is yours like the more modern, more silky kind of kuei?
2: Um,
1: let's say for the gerosum artichoke ones, uh, I would say, I mean, pinka ubi and uh, kuei salad are like one of my favourite kueis ever. That's why I've tried to make different variations of it and for like the bingo i've always realized that like if you, if you eat it if you make it like after maybe a few hours or if you put it in the fridge the the tapioca starch starts to like gelatinize and then it gets really really chewy so i i thought like if i had uh like a different kind of starch inside to give it like a bit more structure but at the same time if it's not the kind of starch that like hardens a lot maybe you'll make it softer so i started thinking about alternative starches and at that point of time, we were, I think we were fooling around with uh, like different starches, and we happened to hit like a season where Jerusalem artichokes were like much more affordable, and I really, really like um I like to I like Jerusalem artichoke because um the flavors are very like savory sweet, and I think that's come to that's 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 the kind of flavor profile which I think a lot of a lot of Singaporeans actually appreciate, especially with like uh, a lot of our our food and our cuisine. So I thought like it'd be like, interesting either to do it, and when we made it, um, obviously like in the beginning it was either too soft or too hard, but it it was pretty promising I would say, and then um and then we paired it with like a, like an ice cream that we made uh it's like a like a brown rice uh, amazake that we ferment ourselves. It really tasted like a very funky pulut hitam, which was something that was very unexpected. So when we paired it together. It it's one of those like um like kind of kind of familiar but not familiar, which is what uh the kind of food that I I kinda for now i like I like to kinda to kind of make so it has like a little connection but at the same time it's uh it's the context isn't really very obvious. Yeah. So just Yeah. Yeah and especially with uh I mean with the corn salad um we used to we ate like so many so many different uh kue salads and when we start looking at like other home home bakers and kue and you start you start to and you talk to like all the people that had made quays before, you start to realise uh like what are the points to look out for, I guess. And a lot of the one of the very big things uh, of it was actually uh like they were they didn't like, like air bubbles in the in the gray. So uh we I mean obviously like in the professional kitchen we have like vacuum pack machines and stuff. So we started to like vacuum pack the, the custards and start to think about how to how to make the custard like really smooth, really soft. But at the same time, um, obviously, it still, like, holds the structure and it doesn't, like, turn to liquid when you cut it and stuff. And I think uh, one, one of the very interesting things about quays that blew my mind was we did, a, we did like, a Straits Clan uh, pop-up at uh, Magic Square. And at the point of time, um, Chef Damon was there. And he was selling quays also. And they were, obviously, like, it's all, like, a group of, like, very old aunties. And they were so proficient with, like, doing quays. And then, uh for dessert we were doing the corn salad thing. Then they just like, how you put corn in your, in your kueh? So obviously like they they were very like weirded out. But I realized that they actually did this thing, where cause I would take like maybe half an hour to cut like maybe uh, a thirty cm quay. It take me forever cause of like the marks on on, on the knife and stuff. And then I saw I saw that they actually clean wrap like their knives. When me and Desmond and Abel, we all of us were like looking at it just like oh It just as a I mean we are all like Western trained. So it doesn't make sense that like by clean wrapping a knife, you could like cut through anything at all. But everything was like so clean. Uh, when, they, when they cut the long strips, they use like the knife with the clean wrap. And then when they cut the smaller ones, they would use like those uh Mangawan Solo, those happy birthday cake, yeah. those kind of small little things to separate. And everything was so clean. You know, they didn't even need to clean their knives. And, and they took like probably like a quarter of a time where I took to, to cut the kuei. And oh, it's, like, oh my God. And like that really like, blew my mind.
0: Mm. You know, you said that you're Western trained, right? Um. Mm. But you have this Peranakan heritage, and now I feel that there are more and more chefs trying to, you know, embrace their heritage and learn more about yeah. um, heritage techniques. So, what what really was the turning point for you?
1: It's it's very embarrassing to say, but to for me to like, I've never really embraced a lot of like Peranakan culture. It has always been one of those where, oh, like um, I'll eat it at home all the time, and then um. I guess that like, after a while I got taken for granted, so after after my grandma and my grandfather like passed away, we didn't have a lot of we didn't have a lot of time to like eat those kind of Brangon foods a lot. Because my my dad works overseas, so that kind of became a bit more like you start to reminisce a little bit more for it. And even even as a chef, when we were to do like staffing which is like which is the only time where we could actually be sort of like creative at a point of time when we weren't like uh like at a very high position. So like even at that point of time, I wouldn't I wouldn't even do Brangon food because like. You know you gotta blend the rumpa, then you gotta cook it down, and then by the time by the time everything is, is done, then it's like you 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 have no time anymore. Normally like stuffing you know, is like those like, like one pot wonder, you know, you throw everything inside a pot and then you just like get things done and then like tasty can already. So like it even even then it hasn't really like crossed my mind like about it. But when we when we did uh Magic Square, our boss like can he starts to like like encourage us to to think about like what's it uh, like a heritage background because that would be something uh I would say is more innately, that would come more innately natural. And I guess it didn't occur to me that much. Uh, But like when we, but the thing is when we went to like the car and like the market and stuff, then some of the chefs that we went with, then they were just like, how come you know like, uh, like what this does or like what there's does. And then I just like, oh, I, I, it's like, it's just one of those things like when I was young, uh, like my parents, my grandparents start to like, tell me about but I didn't know it, that it was it was a bit like muscle memory I guess when we started looking at pranaka ingredients and coming from like where I used to work at like they would never obviously never use this kind of ingredients but you could draw like a lot of like different um, like comparisons to like what it can be I mean like buakala it has like a very unique like chocolatey flavour but if you cook it in a very unique proper way or like in a very different way it could always it could actually taste a bit like like very funky, like truffles and that kind of thing. I started to think about more about like Pranakan cuisine and like Singaporean cuisine. And there's actually, and like my dad uh, always works in the like, Indonesia, and we will go down to like Bintan and like Patam a lot. And there's actually a lot of like similarities. I would say in terms of how they deal with like ingredients. Like over there, they do um like rawon, where they do like and into like a soup. Which 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 I also thought like wow, like in a soup is like it's like a mind blowing thing. It's like wow, so interesting. Like you put in a soup and like over here they, they all over here like uh when we go to especially when we go to like fine restaurants um like my friends like i think my all my there was one time when we went to eat pranakan food and then one of my friends actually just like oh uh like but pranakan food isn't everywhere it's like all like the same stuff you know like they're all doing the same thing which is i mean on some level it is true but then i started to think about like oh like how come like every restaurant like all the pramakan restaurants, I mean, there are there are certain restaurants that like maybe the babi ponte is nicer, or like the asampada is nicer than the other restaurant. But it's true. I mean, they're all serving like the same ingredients, same same uh same dishes. So like that got me like thinking like, well, if I think it'd be very interesting if I could actually use like pramakan ingredients and actually pair it in like a, obviously like, in a different way, and use use like a bit more of like my Western techniques in it. So that's when like we started to play around more with like uh Pranka ingredients singaporean ingredients and try to see like how things move on and yeah so far it's been a very it's a very interesting and a very fruitful right
2: i would say
0: yeah, I find it very interesting whenever I look at your Instagram and I see things, um, like local ingredients but treated in a very Western way or maybe Japanese way. So you mm. have things like your kalamansi kosho and your patai miso, and uh, I saw galangal oil and things like that. So what were some of the you know more interesting discoveries
2: that you have had?
1: I really like belimbing. Mm. It's uh, it's a very native thing, I would say. But even but even like my helper in like Philippines, they would just eat it with like dip it in salt and stuff. It's super, super, like, sour, and, like, it's very, very tannic. Um, like, gives a very weird, like, sensation in your mouth, like, after you eat it. We were just running out of uh, the season for umeboshi, and then um we we missed the cutoff for umeboshi, but we had, like, uh, but I ordered, like, a ton of, like, purple shiso um, left over. So that was one of the ideas that we tried to play around with. We tried to, we went to pickle, uh, like, Bling bing like how you do with meboshi where we salt it and then uh, we soaked it in like a solution uh, with like sugar and like purple shiso and the, the product that came out of it really looked like um the little uh, kamameshi, the little pickles that you eat with your rice and it almost has like a very similar shape just I mean it looks a little bit more star in, in shape but the flavour was it's very interesting because it's very in the beginning um the sarnes has been like tempered down to so it's like you can actually eat it as a snack but at the same time you get very nice like shiso flavours. So when we serve that with uh, like one of our fish dishes, uh, a lot of people just like, oh, it's like very familiar, uh like this plum. Like it's very nice. And I just oh no, it's actually like it's actually Berlin-Bing. And it's yeah, it's uh it's one of those, it's a very, very small uh thing that we that we actually did to it. But it actually turned out to be like a Almost like a very different flavor profile. Mm. We kind of really um pleases me as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Like doing doing, I was supposed to do a last menu at May Square, and I felt sick, so I couldn't really do it. So I had a batch of uh miso that was like there for I think well like a year, I think. So it kind of fermented and it became like this very very like, uh, deep flavored paste we used it to make um, like just very simple uh, madeleines uh, for the end of like uh, like a petit four kind of thing. So it didn't, the thing mm. was while making it, uh, it, there was, obviously it was very hard to, to manipulate the ingredient because like broccoli is so much fat and um, like you're putting it with like a, a madeleine dough where you need so much like butter and like brown butter, it would, it messes with the structure. It's very interesting because it actually has like a very nice like sour note and almost like chocolatey in flavour without even like having to pair it with like uh, add like chocolate in it so it was just like the miso and like just a basic flour and madeleine recipe it was a very simple thing but i think it kind of um at the same time showcased what kind of uh food and what kind of things that we were trying to do at Magic square
0: yeah, I feel mm. like Bokalok is such a tricky one. Like I, I was trying to include Bokalok as a chapter in my book, Where Market the Table. And it was just like so expensive to, to procure and then to sew. And then you have to like crack and extract. You just need to go through so many experiments. Was that really difficult? Like was it very time consuming?
1: In the beginning, we, when we did uh, the Bokalok, I mean, we were very lucky that we actually, there was a supplier at TechHard uh, that could actually get like uh, without the shell. So then I <laughs> then I didn't have to I don't have to go through like the whole process of like taking it out. And then like with by doing the sheltering, a lot a lot of times when you open it, some of them are, are like rotten and yeah. spend so much money on it. Then,
2: oh my then God, like, yes. everything
1: goes to waste. So like we're very lucky that we managed to find like a constant supplier. But it does take a lot of trial and error because um how to say pranakan prankhand people as a as a stereotype is that they are like they're very like Italians, you know, like, you know when they go out and eat, then they, they just think like, oh my, my my grandma, grandma grandma cooks the best uh, like like Sotong or whatever. So it's it's very tricky to actually uh, try to uh, experiment with prankai ingredients. So in the beginning when we were like people were asking us what we, what we were planning to do and then I would say like oh I want to do like prank ingredients and like pair it in a different way and try to like do new flavours with it. Then people will people will actually actually go like, Why would you want to like 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 do this kind of thing? If it's not broken, like why fix it, you know? Yeah. Then I just ah oh, but but it's just like not tired man, every time I eat the same thing, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Especially with like bakula, it's something that people are very like once you think about bakola, they just think like, okay, with pork or with beef. Like like even even saying to pair it with like chicken pork is normal. When I pair it with like vegetables or if I pair it with like squid, then people go like, Oh, like it's um it's a little bit weird. But I think uh, the the environment of uh, Magic square, the way it's being um, poised as a very, it's a bit more like adventurous, like experiment kind of uh, flavor. I think it kind of um, makes Singaporeans a bit more like willing to try. Yeah, I mean whether they whether they they like it or not. Um, I mean obviously that's important as a chef, but I would say like, getting getting Singaporeans for me to actually see like especially like Pranagans. <laughs> um, to actually try try and eat the food. It's really honestly it's something that uh makes me like quite uh intrigued. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the dish of uh baklok with um Brussels sprouts, is it a vegetarian dish?
1: Yeah, it's a vegetarian dish. Uh so we make uh we make like uh, an emulsion uh that is made from baklok and gana mm. So
2: it's
1: uh it's very very savory and uh, we just do like leaves of uh, broccoli that we cooked with uh sorry leaves of Brussels sprouts that we cooked with the wok and then we just dress it like a vinegar that we made with mm-hmm. uh lilybub stems uh kimchi. yeah Mm.
0: So this journey of working with local ingredients, right? Um, has it been a challenging one? Because I know that there's not not a lot of documentation. Um, so I would just love to, to ask whether you feel that this is one of the hindrances why many chefs or many cooks are wary about um, exploring heritage ingredients and techniques.
2: I
1: totally agree. So going back to like Mary Square, so it, it, we do like a nine course menu and then they priced it at like $78 for like consumers. Which is like a crazy, like affordable price. Uh, I mean, we could still use premium ingredients, but uh, we can't use a lot of it. So it kind of forces us to use more of like local ingredients. And I mean, in the beginning, for us, we were all like chefs that used to work at like very nice, like uh, like Michelin star establishments. You know, you get you get like super fancy equipments and uh, your your all, all the all the ingredients are like well, from France and all that kind of thing. So when we, when we were saying like, use like local, local ingredients over bunch of like, uh, I think I think it's not it's not doable. To to be able to to create like flavours out of local ingredients, it is very, very challenging. But it's something that I think everyone should, all chefs to actually give it like a shot to actually try. The good thing, the good thing is that heritage ingredients in Singapore are very cheap. So we could like, to actually achieve the same amount of flavour like with like a French ingredient is very expensive. But we could buy like, a huge amount of it and I like, reduce it to intensify the flavor and you can still bring you can still bring mm. like heritage flavors like to like the forefront and still like even though like you pair it with like expensive ingredients you can still make uh like mm. heritage ingredients like the hero of like, a dish and that is yeah, I, I really think it's even though it's difficult, it's not it's definitely not like an impossible task for us.
0: You know you should definitely write a cookbook. Like one of those restaurant cookbooks with all these techniques and all the, with all these local ingredients. I feel that there's no cookbook (laughs) on the market right now for that. I mean, you always see restaurant cookbooks from the West, right? Hmm. Uh, Applying all these cutting edge techniques to ingredients. But, you know, you don't really see that for our local side of things.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, with local side of things there really isn't a lot of uh like ingredient even even with uh like I have a lot of like old uh pranakan cookbooks they don't they also don't really talk about how to like really Process. treat an ingredient yeah exactly how to treat an ingredient properly every now and then we would chef uh, Damien would come by and he would talk to us about like uh, oh have you tried this have you tried that and like to actually have a to have a conversation with him always like you always always just learn like, a, a new thing and and he would be like super passionate about like ingredients, and he uh like there was one time he came to um, Naked Fin, and then he we would talk about he was just like oh like uh, it's very interesting like what you're doing, and he would talk talk. and he just like oh have you tried this? Have you tried that? And then um he just like I just like oh I never tried for uh chef. Then he just like oh um I'll bring it to you. And then the next day he shows up at like the restaurant at like what nine a.m. nine thirty. And he just brought like, a huge plastic bag of like, ingredients like different gingers, oh, wow. um, like sprouting coconuts and that kind of thing. And it was like and he would actually um, like, roughly go through like, the method of like how to process certain things. Even though he's doing heritage cuisine, he's he's still using he's still learning like using like interesting ingredients to actually bring about like different flavours uh, out of something like he would talk about like white mangoes and
2: mm. um
1: like all the kind of ingredients which i've which i've only seen like a few times That being said they really like you said like there really isn't a lot of people uh this kind of um like chefs or um people with like that much knowledge mm. and it's, it's a good precursor to to pave the way for like young chefs they're starting to get a lot more dishes that are lost mm. now in singapore i would say like i really like to eat uh Sachima, the it's like a little fried batter thing that they cook with like syrup, and then they cut into like square blocks, and it's like super, it's super tasty and it's damn sweet. But like, it's very hard to find like this kind of thing now because it's yeah. so labor intensive. But if we could, if we could actually, like, learn about like the processes to make it, and actually try to apply like a modern uh uh, uh technique mm. to do it to actually, but obviously not to like make a make a, a, a deconstructed version or whatever but it's just obviously to Im- improve the process yeah. to make to actually keep this kind of uh, uh like heritage uh, dishes heritage snacks alive I think that is something very worthwhile I mean this is this is our our identity yeah. I would say
0: do you think the reason why a lot of these heritage dishes are disappearing is because flavor and texture preferences have changed along the way? Like, for example, you know, in the past, we have things like, um, you know, uh, La Pua Bin, right, which you have winter melon kind of filling, kind of like a jam. Mm. Um, and I feel that a lot of young Singaporeans are not into that kind of thing, that kind of dry texture, yeah. you know. So do you feel that that is a contributing factor? Yeah.
1: Um, now, now Singapore is like it's like a food hub. There is uh so many cuisines, and uh, you can just go out. The not even like walk up to a restaurant, like even on Grab, there's like easily like seven, eight cuisines that you can order, like like as takeaway. So I mean, I guess that kind of that kind of like does change people's uh flavor palettes and their and like what they want, and obviously um especially with uh. With like Instagram and all these kind of things, people always will. Nowadays, even in like restaurant, there has been like a shift on, like to create like more like umami flavors instead of like instead of like uh like this kind of um, to actually think about like the the flavors of the past and yeah I I but I think, I think uh there are still a lot of people that are, like even even with the the whole thing about. Like people selling kueh online, I think that also that also shows that there is a like a resurgence, so to speak, of mm-hmm. like this kind of dishes, of this kind of uh, uh snacks that will bring about um nostalgia. But um, I wouldn't say it's it's happening sure. at a very fast rate. But I do. Mm-hmm. I'm actually I'm actually pretty um I'm actually still pretty optimistic that like dishes like la poping will still be like, around in, like, maybe the next few decades, I would say. But with the, obviously, like, people, palates do shift. But, I mean, I I really still, I think that there's nothing wrong with, um uh, like, let's say, like, if there ever is, like, a love ping in, like, a more, in a more, um like, modern kind of flavor.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: wouldn't say, I honestly don't think that it's, it's like, bastardizing, uh, like, a recipe yeah. or, or something like that. But I would say that's also a way of keeping up with, like, times and, like, moving forward. But at the same time, still being very, um, uh, we are very reminded of, like, our roots and stuff. So even if, let's yeah. say, like, you do, like, a La popping with, like, maybe, uh, what's very trendy now? Like, salted egg yolk or something inside. <laughs> Correct. But the thing is, like, people, but even if you sell those kind of flavors, then if, if like, people go, like, oh, like, I'm very sure people will go, like, oh. Like, I wonder what, like, the previous flavours, like, were with Laopo Popping And they would be... And even yeah. if, like, people actually sell, like, original stuff side by side, it would still be very... It would still start to get, like, conversations, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, with Kui. Now there's, like... Now people, like... A lot of people are still... You have, like, so many flavours of, like, Kui nowadays, but people still... The ones that get sold out very often are the are still, like, the traditional flavours, like, just normal Kui salad. But, like, just done very, mm-hmm. very well. Or even, like, just, uh like like the best um angku kueh or like would be even like the original flavors are still the best so even though like we modernize flavors i feel that as long as like even though like there's a lot of modernizing of flavors as long as it's part of the conversation i i feel mm. that we are still going on the right track
0: that's so true like i feel that so when i moved to melbourne there's this restaurant called sunda you probably know mm, know it mm. um so there's this dish on the menu that is um the buttermilk roti right? the veggie the veggie veggie
2: yeah.
0: Wow! when i first tasted it i was like oh my god it is worth the price tag it's like 30 i don't know i think it's 30 something cool. i was like i've never yeah. tasted it. Prata in such a you know in such a way that is so flaky mm. so crunchy. Even when I tap out and I brought it home, it was still so good. And I was like, wow, this really ignites reignites an interest in me to want to learn how to make prata properly. So I, I definitely resonate with yeah. what you're saying. We have doubled with quite mm. a lot of cuisines in your cooking currently at Naked But are there any aspects of Singaporean food that you would love to explore?
1: I actually I've actually never really dealt with uh, like like Chinese cuisine, which is a very weird thing to say. Yeah, because, um, when, so when we, when we, before we went to, uh, like Magic Square, we actually, we were helping out at Magic, uh, Nagle Fin for the time being. And then the chefs were all like, uh, mostly like Malaysian, um, as you would with like a lot of the kitchens in Singapore. And like, their staff meals, their staff meals are all like very, like, very homely, huh? and they'll make like, uh, sweet and sour pork, or like, um, they'll do like those very nice, like, like soup and stuff. I mean, I do have that, at home but the way i don't know but like the way they cook it is very very different because i guess it's because they're all they're obviously more in tune to like chinese food um to us so they probably like they know like little little tricks like like before before i actually worked at uh like Nicarfin, in other I, w- I wouldn't even know what um uh, like velveting like was where you do like cornstarch and corn. i would never know any anything of that mm. and then um when we start to and then they would, like, oh, uh, they would do, like, fish with, uh, like, kang which is just, like, soy, water, and sugar. But I just, like, oh, that's like, oh, this, this, this is, like, damn tasty. Like, what is this? And they just, like, then they just look at me, like, you know, like, crazy. I don't know what it is. Like they just, like, oh, just water and soy sauce.
2: Yeah.
1: But it's, to me, it's, it's not a very innate thing yeah. for me to understand. Because, like, even for, for Chinese I don't eat, like, I don't eat Thai. Like, for Chinese we do, like, buck a lot. And then my grandma would do, like, tap chai and just, like, throw a yeah. bunch of, like, pha chai inside. And then that would be, like, our pen chai. Mm-hmm. So all these kind of things isn't very, like, uh, something that comes to me very naturally. So mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. would be something very interesting. I mean, like, there's, like, haka. you got, like, the, what? Uh, you got, like, suang panzi. Mm-hmm. And then you got, like, Leita. cha. The kind of, because um, I always go to, like, markets at, like, gelang serai or, like, teka. But, like, uh, I think in the last, I think maybe four or five months, I've actually went to uh like Chinatown markets a bit more often. And like, you got, you got those like stalls just selling like a ton of like, herbs and plants. And, and like to actually ask them why it is, they actually can't really like tell you why it is. They're just like, oh, you cook this in water. It's good for your stomach or like, you know, like they can't really explain like in terms like flavor yeah. profile or like, obviously like, obviously cannot uh, because I like, this kind of think it's, it's a very
0: abstract it's a
1: very hard thing for people. Yeah, exactly. It's a very abstract thing for people to actually like pin down what the flavour is. So it's really I think that is one of the aspects where I would want to like explore more. Even like I'm very embarrassed to say like I didn't I didn't know that like grass jelly literally came from <laughs> like a little a little plant. Yeah, because I, I just thought like oh it was like maybe like it has like natural, like gelling properties that it became like a block of jelly or something. But to actually See those kind of ingredients firsthand. It's it's very interesting, and it's something that I will want to to try to mm-hmm. use. I guess with the new Magic Square, uh, the chefs they are all um like have a Hakka and like Hokkien heritage. So when we do like um, food tastings with them, I I honestly get intrigued sometimes because they just like oh uh like um uh, I made a, I made my own five spice because like, you know I didn't like the the nutmeg flavor um in the five spice. Then I'll be just like oh I didn't know there's a like, nutmeg in Five spice, you know, so it's like little, 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 little things, uh, like that. Just like it does, like, intrigue me a lot, and it's something that I want to explore. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that so much. I was talking to Gerald Mm. Ong, um, who is a chef based in Canberra, in Australia, and he was. Um, talking to me about his experience working in a Chinese restaurant here. And he has like a sufu and everything, teaching how, him how to use the wok and like velveting. And the first time I tried velveting, I was like, it's so mind blown, you know. I was like, oh my God, it tastes yeah. exactly like the zhuta, you know, down the road. But we never ever think of using such techniques at home. What about cuisines like Eurasian cuisine or like Indian cuisine? Do you feel like um, kind of like locked out of these cuisines?
1: So I guess, like, using, uh, for, like, Eurasian ingredients and Indian ingredients, it's something that I, I, I really very out of touch with. Mm. But, um, I think, we're very lucky lah, like, there's a lot of, uh, like, if you go down to talk to, like, to, like, the, 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 the vendors or, like, the, the, the people that are selling all the stuff, they actually will, uh, tell you about it.
2: Yeah. Even though, like,
1: it's not, obviously, it's not very, um, like, specific. Um, but we, like, when we, when you read about, um, like, making curries from scratch or, like, certain dishes, they have this thing called, um, like, asafo So we would, I would just, like, oh, like, what is it, you know? Like, it's just so, so complicated. Then, when you tell people, or, like, even with, like, green gooseberries that you see in those, like, Indian stores, you ask them, you just, like, ah, cook curry. Mm. Then, like, or, like, what is the spice for us to make, to cook curry or so? So it's, like, you, 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 obviously, like, you, you get very, like, huh? like everything to cook curry then is like what kind of what kind of like flavors or what kind of ingredients can i can i do with it then obviously it gets a bit like frustrating uh, but but it doesn't it's interesting uh, to actually try it and to go like oh actually like asafoetida potato has like just like very garlicky mm. flavor or like um you know, like green gooseberries are like as almost as tart as like berlin mm. bean. i i do feel obviously like in the beginning i do feel at uh a bit of a, a disadvantage because like, I obviously haven't had haven't really like eaten a lot of um, this kind of food but going back to like the Singaporean uh, heritage and cuisine I think that's what makes us like Singaporeans like really lucky even like to actually if we ever have the opportunity to look in mm. uh, inside rather than look out you actually feel realize that there are a lot of like interesting ingredients just that they've always been just done one way yeah, and they haven't been really thought about doing another way so actually to actually start to think about all these kind of things could really be you could you never know you might actually like come across like a goal mind like yeah. just to cook just in, in another way so I think it's for the new for the new chefs that are more hungry and nowadays like it's it's much more easier in Singapore to like you know like do a host a pop up or like do like home dining mm-hmm. I think that kind of hopefully that gives um like younger chefs more um, like more chance mm. to, like to be adventurous and to actually eventually like want to use um, like local ingredients yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, that's so true. Like when I was younger, right? Like I used to think that local cuisine was so boring or like local mm-hmm. ingredients was really boring. Because if you were to ask me, local ingredients in my mind back then was like siopaitai kailan. <laughs> <laughs> it was like so boring, right? Yeah. Yes. Then I started going to the wet markets, and like you start seeing things like moringa, you know, mm. jambu or like roselle flowers. And I'm like, oh my God, it's really like a farmer's market and we really have so much. What What are your hopes for Singaporean food? How would you like it to evolve?
1: I would never want like hawker culture to like to like disappear and hopefully i mean we do we do hear a lot of see a lot recently we do see a lot of uh like old people like you know they 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 cannot the the Mm -hmm. the kids don't want to continue and you know they gotta they gotta close down their shops but i mean on the other hand there are people that there are young people that like fresh out like cia or something they want to open their own like like batomi store or like it's not it's not just like they're doing like like uh, some interesting Japanese thing in like Hawker Center they actually want to do like Batswami and everything and that's I mean you don't get a lot of these kind of people but I think it's a good start it'll always be nice to to see to see like different tiers I mean obviously I wouldn't want it's not just like I want like a fine dining Singaporean restaurant but I think it would be nice to, to have like different tiers like you got uh, you got like young chefs uh, obviously like be more interested in like Hawker culture um, you have uh, people and I hope to see like a new kind of Singaporean cuisine like have you have you checked out like let's say Desmond from like Tiffin like he does like the Tiffins mm. uh, but it's like it's still it's still very very different even um even like Minket from uh, yeah. Master Seat, uh, like I always love like to go there yeah. and he's always he's always doing like very very new I mean it's not easy to get a, a seat and stuff but it's he's always doing like new things and yeah. and that and that kind of like does give me a lot of uh, encouragement mm. for, for like a chef. I mean, eventually, uh, hopefully when I, when I do get the opportunity to open my restaurant, I would want to, want to be like, like him in a sense to like create, to be pushing like Singaporean cuisine forward. Like whatever he's doing is, is not, it's not like, um, like a very Singaporean thing per se. He's like mixing like, uh, like his Japanese uh, uh, heritage, uh, his Japanese experience from learning like, with like goto and a bit of uh, what he learned at Candle But, that, that doesn't mean that what he's doing is, like, not correct. I still think, I really mm-hmm. still think that he's, he's still pushing forward, like, Singaporean, uh, the narrative yeah. forward a lot. And I personally don't feel that it doesn't matter if, like, let's say you're doing, like, Singaporean with, like, a very Italian kind of, like, ingredients or something like that. I still think that it's, as long as, like, Singaporean, uh, ingredients, uh, or, like, Singaporean cuisine is still, um, part of the conversation yeah. i think i still think that it's very much a success of moving singaporean cuisine forward yeah.
0: yeah and i think you're doing that in your own way as well you know like when i look at your dishes you see a lot of influences from like hawker food and stuff i saw your mm. um fish siu yok, right
2: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that was so interesting
0: yeah. and then um, the Donabe, right, with a lot of uh, mm. Singaporean touches. So I thought that was yeah. really, really nice, you know, because clay pot cooking is like such a big part of Singaporean food culture. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of your favourite eats in Singapore?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I, I've i mentioned uh, Master Seed. It's really, uh, I always try to, I always, every time I get uh, an off day, because they have the same off day as us. Um, so every time I get an off day, I try to see whether I can make a booking at Master Seed. I like uh Songki.
2: Is that part of it?
1: No, no, no. Uh, uh, Songki is uh is this place? They used to be at the east side. Now they moved to Amokyo. They make their own like her because I really, really like I really like like batomi and like they make their own Hokkio. They're at Juchiet,
2: right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Last time they were at Joochiat. Then they moved to Amokyo, which is much further for me. But I still try to make time for it. Yeah. Cause like the, it's like giant noodles and then like Hokkio. It's it's. Yeah, it's something that it's uh it's very comforting mm-hmm. like for me, and even like um, I mean they're not the best, but like spring leaf pata is like everywhere now, and every a lot of people that know me um every every time I on my off day like I must eat like roti pata, and then it's always like it's always like, uh, I always like eating in a bowl, cause like, I i put like so much like curry inside. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the healthiest thing. Yeah, but it's very really one of those um. Like comfort food and something that I, I'm one of those people that can eat like prata and like bakso like every day, which I which I actually tried to do last time, but it's, I mean it's obviously not healthy, like. But yeah, like this kind of thing, like bakso mi. or like um, for us uh even like other kind of cuisines like um, tongfang uh, so it's like China food. We like to eat China food. for like mm-hmm. us chefs. We always finish work very late and then oh, we we'll eat like 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 those kind of China food at night. And then like we were very inspired by like um they got those little chuan chuan, they always put like those very very interesting spices on top with those like, little skewers mm-hmm. of like meat. So it's like they but it's that like, they are using like cumin, cardamom seeds. Yeah. But it's it's very very interesting because like when you think about Chinese food, you don't really think about like that kind of thing. But it's more like mm-hmm. even with, like the Xinjiang, correct the Xinjiang kind of uh aspect to it. It's very, yeah. It's something that resonates with like uh. Like if you compare it to like people like the chefs using like Vadouvan yeah. and that kind of thing. Like it's a very French like thing to use like Vadovan spice. <laughs> but there's a lot of similarities in it. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting. So it's like stuff stuff like this is it's um even though I mean it's tiring like to to to, to finish work, then you still eat something then you still think about, like like food and stuff. But it's um these kind of places like I can just eat this kind of stuff like every week. And uh-huh. I still get like, really, really very satisfied.
0: And I love that they use a lot of offal. You know, that's the thing I love. Yes, Chinese exactly. Food. Yeah,
1: yeah, very, very nice. I we talk about that. Very, very amazing.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, it was so nice chatting with you. I can't wait to try your food one day. Yes,
1: please. Thank you for having me.
0: That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Marcus Liao, who is a chef and head of product development at Naked Finn. Food media tends to focus on Singapore's best hits like chicken rice or laksa and fails to capture the diversity of Singaporean food. By documenting overlooked recipes, Singapore Noodles seeks to share about Singapore's rich food culture with you. Visit our website at sgpnoodles.com to get access to local recipes and video tutorials. We also have a newsletter where we share about the history and cultural context of local food at sgpnoodles.substack.com. That is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you next week.